All right, guys, thank you so much for uh, coming to Sunday School. It's, it's good to see everybody here today. I know that uh, we're way down on attendance. We've got a lot of folks that are traveling and, and some families that are sick as well, and that's unfortunate. And uh, so anyway, but I'm so glad for those of you that were able to, to make it to Sunday School today. Uh, before we begin our time, though, of uh, the actual class, I want to uh, just give just a little bit of an introduction, if I could, just with a new semester, new uh, Sunday School uh, series that's going to be going on. I just want to give you a few thoughts. Uh, one of the things that, uh, well, the primary thing that we do as a church is, uh, according to our purpose statement, is to make disciples of Christ. And I, I hope uh, that's not just a purpose statement, but what we actually do as a church. And, and of course, uh, what does it mean? To make a disciple, what is a disciple? How would you describe that to somebody who's not been in the church? A disciple is a learner, right? Yeah. They're, they're someone who's a student. So there is a sense in which there's a sense of studying when it comes to uh, to discipleship and things, but it's not just a sense of filling our heads with more knowledge. Um, it actually, as you read the scriptures, you see that those things that we learn in our minds are, are things that are to work themselves out in our hands and our feet in the way that we live our lives. And, and you could even say that discipleship is to lead to a life of godliness. And that's why in our purpose statement, uh, we say that we exist to make disciples of Christ who worship God with reverence and joy and who walk with one another in love and who witness to our neighbors both here and around the world. And we do those things not for the benefit of Kirk of the Plains or any of us individually, but we do that for the glory of God. So there, there's a sense in which discipleship is, uh, it fosters that relationship with God and with other people and even compels us to go and to tell other people who don't even know Jesus about the hope that we have in Jesus Christ so that uh, they might come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as well. So anyway, I say all that for this reason, that you know, I hope as you come to Sunday School this semester, that is, I, I, I appreciate the habit of coming to Sunday School, and I think that's good and that helps us to be here, but I hope your, your goals and your aims are a little bit higher, that your, your aim is to grow in godliness. And so I would suggest that maybe we do a couple of things this year uh, individually uh, as we attend this class. Is first of all, pray for yourself. Pray that you would grow in godliness as we go through this study that we're going to be doing this semester. But then also pray for your teacher, and that would be Chris. Um, I'm just a substitute today, okay? He uh, had a wedding uh, to attend, and it, the date got changed in it actually ended up happening over this weekend so he's not able to be here so I thought he might fill in for him but pray for Chris as he teaches this series um, but then also pray for one another in the class as well that we as a church could could grow in godliness so anyway just a, a little encouragement and just to, to keep our mindset on something more than just coming each week and uh, and hearing what's saying. So let's let's bow our heads and let's pray as we begin our time today. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, so much for uh, the blessing of of being disciples of Christ, uh, of growing in our faith, uh, growing in our understanding of who you are, and walking with you and loving you and worshiping you. We thank you, Lord, so much that shortly after this class that we could gather with your people to do exactly that, to worship you with joy and with reverence. Oh Lord, we pray that you would cause us to grow, to love each other, and and also, Lord, to know ourselves better as well, and, and who you are and what you have done and are doing in our lives. Oh God, we just thank you and pray this in your name. Amen. Well, as we think about the, the series that we're going to be doing for this semester, I just want to open by saying this, that in, in the church we use biblical words to describe truths that God's revealed to us in his word. Um, and for those of us who have grown up in the church, and I think everyone here this morning has grown up in the church, that's not really a problem. 
because your whole life you've been around Christians, you've been around the church, you've heard words, and you understand what they mean, but you can only imagine what a challenge that is for someone who becomes a new believer in Jesus Christ, and everybody is talking and using all this religious lingo and stuff, and, and they're trying to figure out what exactly, what is sanctification, and what does election mean, and, and predestination, and, and all that kind of stuff, and it could be very, very confusing. Uh, but but even simple words, uh, short words like sin, can can be a challenge. What what do we mean when we when we talk about sin in the church? What what is sin? It's disobedience to God's direction. Okay, it's disobedience to God's direction to God's will. Uh, what about um, what's another mercy? What what or or no? We'll start out with something simpler. Grace. What is grace? Grace is not, uh, I don't know, I tend to mix up grace and mercy. Okay. Uh, yeah, they are sort of two sides of the same coin. Um, I said not being, not, not receiving the punishment that we deserve. Okay. Yeah, mercy is not receiving what you deserve. Okay, grace is, is the opposite of that. It's, it's receiving what you don't deserve. Um, and so, anyway, there, but there's all these definitions that we use and these words that we use. But, you know, and as, so as a church, we need to be really good about discipling people and about explaining the words that we use in church. But, you know, no matter how good a church does at this, you know, there's always some words, I think, that we don't really necessarily explain. And one such word that I would suggest to you would be the word the heart. Now, it is interesting because the Bible talks a lot about the heart, uh, a lot, um, which we're going to talk about in just a little bit. And you might be sitting there this morning and you might be thinking, well, Pastor Rick, you know, how hard can it be to understand what the heart is? Well, let, let me just read to you a few phrases and, and how we as Americans use the word heart and all these phrases will be familiar to you but just to give you an idea of how diverse uh, our usage could be if you have a change of heart what does that mean you change your mind yeah you change your mind you you think differently now than you did before uh, you might say uh, she gave me her heart which means she loves me right or you could say she broke my heart which means she no longer loves you or you know whatever it might be but if your heart was in the right place, uh, that meant that you messed up and maybe very badly, but you know you you meant well. Uh, when our friends speak from the bottom of their hearts, they're they're sincere, they're they're telling the truth. Uh, when your children say, "I cross my heart," what they're trying to tell you is is that dad, mom, I'm I'm telling the truth. At least this time, you know, I'm, I'm crossing my heart. I just want you to know that. Uh, sometimes we don't have the heart to tell someone the truth. We might say. Uh, other phrases that we might use is, is if we take it to heart, that means we're, we're taking it very seriously. We're listening well. Or uh, if we know it by heart, that means we've memorized it or we remember it. If you have a heart of gold, that means you're kind, right? Or you're a good, good person, some people might say. If you have no heart, that means you're mean. Uh, if your team loses heart, they gave up. If they showed heart, that means they rallied at just the right time. And when you wear your heart on your sleeve, you're you're transparent. Um, when you put your heart into it, that means you're very passionate about something. We also uh, use phrases like the lion-hearted, which we mean that's a person who's courageous, or chicken-hearted, that's someone who's spineless. Uh, sometimes we're cold-hearted, other times we're light-hearted. We work half-heartedly on Monday and wholeheartedly before we have a deadline that's due that we might be evaluated on. Uh, we could be callously hard-hearted or cowardly faint-hearted. Um, everyone important to you is dear to your heart. And everything important about you is secured in your heart of hearts. Now, uh, that's a lot of different ways to use the word heart. And so as we look at that, we, we may think that the word heart is a very simple term, but 
I would suggest to you it may not be so easy to define. But the Bible tells us that we need to understand what we're talking about when it comes to the heart. Uh, when Christ asked the question in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, he, uh, he said, what is the greatest commandment? Or he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? His answer showed where our true spirituality begins. And his answer, if I could just give just the first part, is love the Lord your God with all your heart. Exactly. Uh, let me read the whole verse. It says, and he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now, um, if what Christ says is important, and I would suggest to you that since it says what is the greatest commandment, that it's of utmost importance, then we need to understand what we mean by the heart um, so that we might have a greater clarity in, in obeying God and in loving Him. You see, the biblical definition of the heart is one that diverges from a lot of cultural understandings of the heart. It varies, it varies greatly from the Greek philosophy of the heart. And it, and it very much, uh, the Bible's definition of the heart deals is, is very different than what we in the modern or postmodern uh, philosophies believe. Uh, the word heart, as I said earlier, is used a lot of times in the Bible. Just under 1,000 times is the word heart used in the Bible. And it's used more than any other word to describe the inner person. You know, if you think of a human being as is made of that which is inside and that which is outside our, our bodies, then the heart is what describes the inner man, the inner person. And yet the heart, word heart is often misunderstood by Christians. Um, Os Guinness um, contends that the biblical understanding of the heart and our modern understanding of the heart are really almost opposites. And I think he's right in saying that. Because if I said to you today, uh, the heart is understood to refer to a person's what? What does our heart refer to when we talk about it in our modern culture? The heart refers to a person's what? Their desires or their their emotions, yeah. Yeah, their emotions, their feelings, their, their desires. Uh, but biblically, the heart refers to the whole inner person, everything inside of us. And so it would include those things that, that we think of in our culture, but our understanding of the heart is very anemic when it comes to what the Bible reveals about the heart. And so, um, you know, we want to look at that this semester, and we're, we're actually uh, looking at a biblical understanding of the heart, and we're actually using this book. I know it's hard to see or back for those of you who are in the back but it's entitled with all your heart and it's written by a Craig Troxel and uh, I had uh, the privilege of uh, I go to Twin Lakes every year and they have uh, a main speaker that comes and delivers addresses and and I'm the kind of person I like to sit in the front I know I'm not very Presbyterian in that regards but I like to sit right in front so there's nobody in front of me and I think a lot of that is I just get easily distracted, so I need to not have anybody between me and the speaker. And the speaker for this year came, and he sat down beside me, because the speaker always sits up front so he can slip up real quickly to, to talk, and so I was chatting with him, and I found out it was Craig Troxell, and he was coming to talk about the matters of the heart. And I told him, I said, I read your book. It's a great book. Anyway, and so um, I was really excited when Chris uh, came across this book, and and he, uh, he asked if we could do this for our Sunday school class. And so uh, we're going to be looking at this this semester. Uh, as we look at uh, the scriptures, we see when it talks about the inside of a person that it uses a lot of different words, okay? Uh, we, we even saw that in Matthew 22, right? You are to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And you know, some translations, other passages will sometimes maybe add another term. 
And I know I've heard a lot of Christians say, okay, so does that mean that we're like three parts? Is that like there's three parts of us or whatever? Well, it can be sort of confusing um, because um, the Bible does give us different words for the inner man. It might speak of your soul or your spirit or your conscience. And all those things do reveal something about us as image bearers of Christ. And these words generally communicate one idea or one aspect of the inner man. Okay, But the word heart differs in scripture. Its meaning shows more. It shows the totality of who we are in the inner man, but it also shows the diversity or nuances as we're going to look at in just a little bit. It's a lot like the word snow. Now, you may not have thought of the word snow as being a very complex word, um, but if you uh, are a person who likes to be outdoors, you know that there's different kinds of snow. There's flaky snow, there's crusty snow, there's thin snow, there's deep snow, there's fine snow, there's wet snow, there's soft snow, there's heavy snow, you know, all these different kinds of snow, which honestly, until this week, I had never really thought that much about. But uh, one of the things that I learned this week is, is that there are people in Alaska and Canada where they get a lot of snow that actually uh, employ different terms, multiple terms, to describe each one of these aspects of snow. And, and yet, you can use the term snow to refer to all those aspects. Well, the heart is a lot the same way. You can refer to that in terms of the whole inner man, and yet it, it reflects uh, different nuances of the inner man as well. And, and I want to suggest that the Bible presents the heart as having sort of a trinity of spiritual functions, that there's three main functions of, of the heart when it comes to us as human beings. And that is what we know, it is what we love, and it is what we choose. Those three things, what we know, what we love, and what we choose. And that's what we're going to spend uh, this semester talking about, okay? What we know. We're going to talk about the mind. You know, we think of the heart and the mind is, is very different. The mind has to do with the intellect. The heart has to do with the emotions or the feelings. But actually, biblically speaking, the mind is included in the aspect of the heart. Our knowledge, our thoughts, our intentions, our ideas, our meditations, our memories, our imaginations, all of those things uh, are part of the heart. Uh, the other part of the heart is what the Puritans called our affections. And we oftentimes think of our affections as our emotions. And that's a little misleading. Um, what, what is affections? How would you describe affections as, as opposed to emotions? Does anybody want to take a stab at that? Well, our affections are the things that we desire, okay? Our emotions may affect the things that we desire, but that's not the same as our desires. And so the word desire is a much better term than emotions or feelings. And so uh, the, our, our heart uh, deals with the things that we want, those things that we seek, those things that we feel or yearn for and desire. But also the heart deals with what we choose. It has to do with our will. You know, whether we resist or submit, whether we will be weak or strong, whether we'll say yes or no, all of those things has to do with our will. And, and it's particularly insightful when you think about these three aspects of the heart. And I want you to, uh, to constantly be... Uh, carrying this grid around in your mind as we go through this class this semester that the heart is the mind the desires and the will but then when you when you take and think about the effects of sin on the heart and then what Christ has done to redeem us in our heart it's just a it's just a phenomenal grid by which uh, to think about things if I could uh, Mark could I yes. pass those out When I made those handouts, I wasn't sure if I'd have enough, and then I just kept getting phone calls about, 
uh, families that were sick or traveling or whatever, and I realized, oh, I'm going to have more than enough handouts today, but maybe we'll use some of them in the future. Uh, but if you look at this chart that's before you, uh, this is uh, uh, just a, a wonderful uh, outline of, of what we're going to be talking about this semester, okay? But uh, if you look at the heart, you see you have the mind, what you know, the desires, what you love, and your will, what you choose. That's what makes up your heart. But we also know that with when Adam and Eve sinned, right, then all of humanity uh, was born in sin. So sin affects our hearts. And oftentimes we just use that term sin to just refer to, you know, as Mark said earlier, any you know, want or transgression of the law of God or the will of God. And, uh, but yet, if you think about the different terms that the Bible uses for sin, you, you, you realize that sin begins to affect every part of your inner man. For example, sin, uh, the idea of falling short of what you know, that affects the mind. That your iniquity, how sin takes and sin twists things and sin perverts things. And and we we experience that in our lives. There's, you know, Paul talks about this in in Romans, right? Where he says, you know, I, 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 I don't, I do what I don't want to do, right? I, I actually give in to sin. Sin sort of perverts and it twists the desires of our hearts and those things that we love. And then you see the word transgression, which means to rebel against uh, authority. And so you see sin seeking to affect our will and, and what you choose. And so um, it's, it's pretty fascinating. But the beauty of in Christ, Christ has redeemed us. And Christ takes and he applies his three offices of a prophet, of a priest, and of a king to our lives as Christians in redeeming us in regards to sin in our inner man, in our heart. So as a prophet, he teaches and he assures us, which instructs our minds. Uh, he's our priest, which redeems and, and renews uh, our desires to love the things that we ought to love rather than the things that we ought not to love. He is the king that rules over our wills and subdues and strengthens us. And so actually what we're going to do, uh, just to give you sort of an outline, this chart is sort of an outline in one sense, uh, at least a partial outline of what we're going to be studying this semester, that what we're going to do is we're going to take each of these three aspects of the heart, the mind, the desires, and the will. And we're going to spend three weeks on each one of those. The first week, we're going to take the mind, and we're going to define and, and sort of prove to you that the mind is, is part of the heart. Okay, I've just sort of stated those things this morning, but I've not shown you where, where Scripture says, what Scripture says about these things. So we're going to, uh, this morning, spend a lot of our time just talking about what the Bible says about the mind and how it is part of the heart. And then next week, Chris will talk about the sin and, and how sin seeks to affect our hearts specifically. And then how Christ as prophet teaches and assures us the next week. And then we'll do the same thing with desire and same thing with will. So we'll spend uh, these nine week, next first nine weeks just sort of talking about these things. Defining each one of these aspects of the heart, and then um, and then we'll be looking at how sin and how redemption affects those things. And then finally, uh, we're going to talk about what it means to keep our hearts. It's good to know these things, but how do we keep our hearts? Uh, we, we're going to talk about the gatekeepers of the heart and the ambassadors of the heart and the preservers and the protector of the heart. So. Uh, this is just uh, a, a great study, and uh, I know I was very blessed when I read through the book and sort of studied that, and I'm really looking forward to this as being part of our class. Are there any questions about this? All right. Well, um, let's, let's jump into it. The mind of your heart, okay? The idea of, of knowing. 
according to the Bible, if your heart does one thing, it thinks. Okay, and like I said, that's sort of countercultural because we think of it in terms of feelings. And even in the church, even Christians make reference to the heart as at the expense of knowledge. Now, I know we're Presbyterians, and we have a tendency to be a little bit more heady than maybe some other denominations, uh, but it's not unusual to hear a Christian say something, and even Presbyterians sometimes I've heard say this, having love for God in your heart is more important than having knowledge of God in your head. Having love for God in your heart, having those feelings, having those emotions. I mean, if you think about uh, a lot of worship that goes on in the church today, there is a sense in which there is a leading of, of worship, but sometimes um, there's almost an overemphasis of trying to affect the feelings of the people, the worshipers that are uh, before the Lord that day. Uh, nothing wrong with including emotions and affections and desires in terms of worship. We ought to uh, utilize the entire inner man as, and the outer man as well as we worship the Lord. Uh, but we have to be careful not to overemphasize that. So some Christians may even assume that thoughtful theological engagement is less desirable, if not less spiritual that some people think that theology is less spiritual than any everything else in the Christian life. As one person put it, they said, warmth is to be favored over depth. And, and I think we see that a lot in, in the church. Okay, so as we think about the heart, um, it, it includes um, the things of the mind, our thinking and our planning and our ideas and our insights, our memories and imagination, our knowledge, even our ignorance, our wisdom and folly, our doubts and our conviction, all of these things. Now, um, as we think about the idea of the heart, um, it's, it's interesting that when people think of thinking, as a modern thinker, we attribute that to the brain, but scripture applies it to the heart. Now, this is where we're going to get into some scriptures. You know, this is this is a joy I get. I get to give you all the introductory stuff and sort of lay the foundation. Now we get to get into the good stuff, okay? Open your Bibles, if you would, to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. And would someone read that very loudly, please, so everyone can hear Uh, 139.23, excuse me, I'm sorry. Okay. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Okay, so notice what it says here. Search me, O God, and know my heart, right? And then try me and know my thoughts. Now, one of the things about uh, Hebrew poetry is that it uses parallelism. It takes, you know, we oftentimes as Americans in poetry will use things like rhyming and just different gimmicks like that in poetry. Hebrew poetry is a little bit different. It uses parallelism as, as one of the, the elements of poetry. And what they may do is, is that it, they will compare two things together to give you insight about uh, the ideas. So in this case, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. That idea of heart and thoughts are tied together. Sometimes the Bible will do the same thing, only they'll use opposites to clarify and to explain things. So David is saying here that his thoughts and his heart are one. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Can anybody quote that for me? Or it's not 6, just 5, the first part. Trust the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. Thank you. Okay, trust the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. Here again, we see that same idea where the heart is uh, um, functions in intellectual capacity. The heart is where our intentions and our desires, uh, excuse me, designs are forged, whether that's for good or for evil. Um, Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5. 
Genesis 6 and verse 5. Somebody read that. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Okay. So you see here again the idea of the thoughts of his heart. The idea of the thinking capacity. But what we're, we're shown here is, is that it's not necessarily always a, a positive thing. That, that here we saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. In other words, it was just habitually set on evil intentions. And so the, the heart of a man obviously can be uh, good if it's redeemed in Christ, but it also can be wicked and evil. Let me read to you another verse, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. Hebrews 4 verse 12, a very familiar passage. I, I tried to, to pick verses that you would know, that you have read a lot, but maybe have never tied together these ideas of the heart and the intellect. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So here again, you, you see the, the thoughts and intentions, uh, the motives of, of the heart, that these are all intellectual uh, Faculties that are being engaged in terms of the heart. Now, um, I w there are literally hundreds of other verses that we can look at, but I, I want to be fair to our time, and, and I think the point is adequately being made that the mind is part of the heart, and so we are to um, we are to to think of the heart in that way. But the Bible also talks about lacking heart as well. And when a person lacks heart, it may refer to his or her lack of compassion or courage. But oftentimes, in other places in the Bible, it also refers to a person's lack of understanding or good sense. As a matter of fact, in the ESV, oftentimes it is translated lacking sense. Okay, Look, if you would, at Proverbs chapter 11 and, and verse 12. Proverbs 11:12. Does somebody have the ESV where they could read that? Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. So whoever belittles his neighbor, that 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 word lacks sense is actually the Hebrew for the word heart. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks heart, but a man of understanding remains silent. You see, uh, it's a general rule of thumb. I won't say it's true in every single case, okay? But as a general rule of thumb, in the book of Proverbs at least, whenever you encounter the phrase, lacks sense in the ESV, or uh, has no sense in the NIV, or in the King James, void of understanding or wanteth understanding. Or if you're a New American Standard guy or gal, lacks understanding or lacks sense. Any time that that's used, usually that translation is a literal phrase. It comes from the literal phrase, lacks heart. And so you see that idea of, of understanding and, and heart. Uh, for example, in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 32, he who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. Okay, It's not just that he lacks sense in terms of his intellect, but that actually it's a reference to the lacking of heart. And Proverbs also talks about that, about the one who belittles his neighbor, who rejoices in folly, and who's a sluggard or who's lazy. But anyway, just so you know, it's not just in the Old Testament Oh, yes, Ben. I was just going to say, going back to the Proverbs 11, 12. Yeah. It, this is not me trying to cast any doubt on what translators do or anything like that. But like, but going with the whole Hebrew kind of poetry, comparing and contrast and all that, 
you can tell that even if it was black hard, he's still talking about the intellect based on the second statement in Ye that verse. Yes. Um, talking about the man of understanding? Yes. Yeah. yeah that's what he's lacking, his understanding of that knowledge. Yes, exactly. That's a very good observation. That um, So you still see that sense of, of uh, the intellect. Uh, well, just so you, you know, it's not just in the book of Proverbs, because we have looked mostly at Proverbs. Turn over to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel 2 and verse 30. <coughs> Excuse me. Can someone read that verse? And the king said to them, I have a dream. In my spirit is trouble in the dream. Yeah, it's sort of a, a complicated. Uh, I mean, <coughs> excuse me. It says, but as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me not because of any wisdom that I have more than all. The, the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. This is actually Daniel speaking to the king, and he says that you may know the thoughts of your mind. That word mind actually is the word for heart. Um, one other verse, if I might uh, read very uh, quickly, Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1, verse 17. Uh, this is Paul's prayer. He's sort of in the middle of his prayer for the church. Here again, another very familiar verse. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. In other words, he's wanting us to understand the truth of what we have received in the Christian faith. He wants the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Uh, now, what does that mean, the eyes of your heart enlightened? How might you describe that to someone who was new to uh, the Word of God and didn't quite understand? Maybe they were new to the Christian faith. Extent to talk about understanding, um, as he goes on to say that you may know what is the hope which he's called you. It's, it's understanding just the, the breadth, the depth of what God is doing in you, I think, and understanding his work. Yeah. It, it's a sense in which, as he says earlier, God is revealing these truths to us. He's, he's giving us this knowledge of him. So, this is all of this is an intellectual. Uh, uh, our intellectual faculties are being exercised as God gives us this revelation, this information. We are processing that. We are assimilating that. We are seeking to understand that, that our, our minds might be enlightened um, or, as he says here, our hearts. So in Scripture, and especially in the Old Testament, the location of our knowledge is usually our hearts. Um, So there's, there's different faculties, um, or different functions, excuse me, different functions that, that, that our hearts have that we as Christians um, ought to be utilizing. Uh, let me read some verses for you. Psalm uh, 19, verse 14. Psalm 19, 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You'll, you'll hear pastors say that. You know, as they are maybe praying for their sermon, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, this reflecting, right? Meditating is sort of, you know, uh, processing in your mind over and over and over those things that, that you ought to, that you already know. We, we've likened it to a cow chewing its cud, right? And they just do that over and over. Uh, Psalm 
49.3. Someone read Psalm 49.3. Somebody else could look up Psalm 77, 6. My mouth shall speak wisdom. The meditation of my heart shall be understanding. Okay. So the psalmist is talking about here again about his mouth speaking wisdom, but more importantly, the meditation of my heart shall be understanding. It's meditating on those things to understand those. And then Psalm 77, 6. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Okay. Here again, we have the meditation of the heart. So one goal in acquiring and reflecting on, on knowledge is to obtain wisdom, right? Um, how might we describe wisdom? Is wisdom just gaining more knowledge, getting smarter? It's, to a certain extent, it's the mind and the will intersecting somewhat to the desire. Okay, could you unpack that a little because bit? Because it's trying to choose things, decide things based on the knowledge you have, um, making decisions in the practical, real world, it's not just all intellect. It's we're not going to take this intellect and apply it. Um, and I'm sure there's more to it than that. But no, no, you you got it, Ben. I mean, it, it's there's a sense in which wisdom includes knowledge, but it's not just knowledge. It's also the application of that knowledge in our lives. It's it's carrying those things out uh, in our lives. And so it begins with the fear of the Lord, and it's rooted in meekness, and it produces a righteous fruit. Um, but there's always that sense in which that fruit is there. You can tell a person who is wise by their lifestyle. So, so there's a sense in which our, in our hearts, uh, God has given us those hearts that we might reflect upon things, but also so that we might remember things. Um, I, I am just struck by the time that the Apostle Paul just continues to repeat the same things to the churches. And when I was younger, I thought, why does he do this? It's like he's already said this, and he's telling them again. But now as I'm getting older, I, I fully understand why that is needful, you know, that we be reminded of, of uh, what we have. And so it's important that we uh, treasure up uh, in our hearts the things that the Lord has given to us. And there's a number of verses that, that talk about this. Um, Mary, when when the shepherds came to her, and they spoke the words that they spoke, and here is the Jesus has been born, and says that she pondered all these things up in her heart. Um, Daniel, when he received uh, remarkable visions and stuff, uh, he said, "I kept the matter in my heart." The psalmist talks about storing up the word of God in your what? Your heart. Why? Why are you storing the word of God up in your heart? So that you may not sin against him. So that you may not sin against him. So God exhorts his people not to forget, but rather to remember certain things. And I, I wish we had time to go through all of these scriptures. Unfortunately, we don't. But uh, he, he wants us to remember him. To remember his commandments. To remember how he has redeemed us. To remember the, the covenant. To remember... Uh, the Sabbath day, to remember the mighty deeds that, that he's done. And there's just all these things in Scripture that he tells us, remember, remember, remember. And he oftentimes tells us to, to write something on our hearts, particularly to write his law upon our hearts. Now, now what does that, that terminology mean, to, to write something on your heart? We can't you know, physically write something on the inner man of, of who we are, but so how do we do that? Okay. Yeah. It's some because writing really you're referring to something that's permanent, especially uh, or more permanent at least. Uh, 
it, it, it could be chiseled out sometimes in rock or something like that. But yeah, it's something that's solid, it's permanent, you're not going to forget it. Yeah. So it's like, like memorizing and meditating. Yeah, and I think that last part that you just said is really important, Ben. It's, it is partly memorizing enough that it is there and it's it's solid, but then also the, the idea of meditating on something even more firmly establishes these things in, in our minds. And and so he, he calls us, he tells believers to write these things on the tablet of your heart, which might be his commandments or his mighty deeds or remembering God. But, but also, I, I want to encourage you as we read in passages like Hebrews 8, 10, and, and others, that God promises us to do the same thing. God has said, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. So this isn't just an exercise that we are doing as well, but, but or excuse me, that we're doing, but it's one that God is doing as well. As we are memorizing, as we are meditating on his word, then he also is establishing and fixing those things in our minds as well. Um, so it, it's important that we utilize uh, our the mind of our hearts as believers. Um, Let me just uh, close, if I could, uh, by just reminding you of, of one thing. Uh, there's more to the heart than just the mind. This morning, that's what we're focusing on, is, is the mind. But there, our thinking is related to all of the other chambers of the heart. So the mind is affected by the desires which is affected by the will. Our desires and our will significantly influence our mind just as our thinking affects our desires and our will. God shaped our hearts in such a way that our thinking functions properly only if our desires and our wills are right with God. And so our, our heart tends to track with what we love most and then the mind sort of moves us in a willful direction. It's, it's usually intent on a particular errand. Let me uh, read Romans 8, 5. Turn to Romans 8, 5. And Paul uh, refers to this. He says, for, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Right? But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the of the spirit you know as, as you think about your own Christian life you may have found that a struggle sometimes and and you think you know well why why do I struggle so much to to, to obey the Lord or to to set my minds on on the things of the spirit and it may be that we've not set the totality of our hearts upon God maybe we have verses in our minds and maybe we've thought these things but maybe our hearts the love of our hearts has not been affected by that or informed by that. And that's why Paul tells believers, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Here again, he's talking about the trajectory of our heart. And so in, in the coming weeks, uh, I want us to think about this paradigm that we have laid out today. And, uh, and also just to encourage you to think about these things in, in terms of your own life and your own heart. Um, today... Uh, I had uh, the opportunity to sort of lay the foundation and sort of share with you just in terms of the mind. But as we get into, you know, uh, how sin affects our hearts and, and how Christ has redeemed us in this, you're going to begin to see a, a very practical application of these things that, that we've talked about today. And uh, so I want to encourage you uh, that... Uh, you know, as we look at this, that um, it, it will this will be something that is meant not just to feed your minds, but also to to uh, feed your your whole inner person as well, and that will be lived out in in godliness, and especially as we live in a day and a time where the temptation is to think more in terms of the feelings when it comes to the heart 
you know, as I said before, as Presbyterians, we can sometimes be accused of we think only of the mind, of the heart. And uh, we must not neglect that, but we also must not retreat into the mind of the heart only as well. And, and that's why we'll have an opportunity to look at all the aspects of, of the heart uh, as we go through this study. Are there, are there any questions? Or, yeah, Ben? I mean, basically tagging along with what you're saying, um, I, I really love this chart. I hadn't really thought of it, it things exactly this way before. But the one, one of the wonderful things about Christ is that sin has affected us in all these different ways and more. Um, and yet, He is a multifaceted Savior, and His salvation covers over all, every, all of those things. Yes. There is nothing that he is uh, incapable of redeeming in us. There's no sin. There's no desire. There's no conflict in the will. He can he can break through in any of that and uh, change all that for our for his glory, for our good and his glory. Yes. Yes. And 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 that is important to remember that. You know, our hearts have been affected by sin, and they've been affected by sin um, completely. And I don't mean in the sense that, uh, how do I want to say this? It's affected every aspect of our lives, of our hearts, has been affected by sin. Okay, maybe not as corruptly as it could and, uh, and stuff, but it, it is, it has affected all of us. But when Christ saves us, he doesn't just come in and try to sort of like restore little bits and pieces back to the, what they were. He gives us a whole new heart because our heart was a heart of stone. And he now once again gives us a heart of flesh. He, he resets that to what it was when he created us before sin entered the world. And, and he is continuing to show his redemptive work in our lives. So yeah, it's, it is, you know, yeah, it's, it's great. It's, it's, uh, it's great fodder to, uh, as we come to worship the Lord and to rejoice in Him and the work that He has done in us. So, any other questions or comments? Or Okay, well, I'm, I'm looking forward to this class. And like I said, not only pray for yourself, your fellow students, pray for Chris as, as he teaches this class that the Lord would give him wisdom and, and insight as he, as he shares these things. And uh, we hope to see you next Sunday at 9.30. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we could look at this study on the heart and uh, what that entails. And it, it is good, Lord, to be reminded that while our culture thinks of the heart as the feelings and the emotions, that your word really talks about it in terms of the mind and in terms of the desires and in terms of our will. Uh, and God, I just pray that as we take time each week to look at these things more carefully, that um, you would uh, not just help us to grow intellectually, but Lord, in every aspect of our heart. That, Father, that, um, that you would be glorified. Lord, that your church would be strengthened. Uh, Lord, that um, we would be compelled to worship you. For the great and mighty work that we see in our lives. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.